Elliot Goldstein is hosting a radio and podcast show out of New Mexico called NMDJ Presents Fly on the Wall. We are building a fresh, fabulous podcast library of musicians, writers, artists, and all good people of note, with many new and exciting guests to come. We are listener-funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. We appreciate your help. We would like to thank Alan Gower for the intro music. Enjoyed the show. Hey guys, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall podcast. I'd like to tell you how I got started. Um, I really had no idea on um, the beginnings of what had even where to start. And I stumbled upon Anchor by Spotify. And it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. And I'll explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And um, when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast automatically on listening platforms. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Apple Podcasts. I'm on other uh, platforms. And it, Anchor made it so simple. And um, it's all in one place. Everything you need to make a podcast, you can find in one place. And um, the amazing part is it's all free. So um, there is no uh, downside to any of this. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R. And again, it's the Anchor app or anchor.fm. And it's real easy to get started. And um, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall and uh, back to the show. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Not Your Mother's Radio is listener-funded. If you wish to assist and help keep the station active, funds can be sent via PayPal to Elliot. Is. Not. Your. Mother. At. Gmail.com. Remember, there is only one L and one T in Elliot. Thank you for your assistance. It is appreciated. David Knopfler is an English singer-songwriter from Newcastle-upon-Tyne. Together with his older brother Mark, John Ilsley, and Pick Withers, he founded the rock band Dire Straits in 1977, serving as rhythm guitarist on their first two albums. After quitting the band, Knopfler embarked upon a solo career as a recording artist. Knopfler initially created smaller record labels, publishing companies, and indie labels. Knopfler introduced his older brother, guitarist Mark Knopfler, to his bassist flatmate John Ilsley. After gaining the interest of drummer Pickwithers, 
the four founded the rock band Dire Straits. One of Mark's friends came up with the band's name, which was supposedly a reference to their financial situation at the time the band was beginning to gain notice in the music industry. David however, asserts on his website that the notion that the band were literally in dire straits is largely retrospective myth-making and not really factually supportable. We all had day jobs until we got a whacking big advance from Polygram. Knopfler played rhythm guitar beside his brother, who was lead guitarist in the band. He appeared on Dire Straits' first two albums, Dire Straits and Communique. The stress of composing, arranging songs, recording the then requisite two albums and tours to support them took its toll on the brothers, and David left the band during the recording of their third album, Making Movies, leaving him uncredited on the album. Please note. Elliot also gives David credit as being the cutest Knopfler brother. So without further ado, let's get the show started. But first this tune from David. Talks too loud, no one listens anyhow. Sometimes there are no words to talk about what really hurts. Is this the king between us? Goes greater day to day. In your body vest, the dagger paths a desert. We pass through on the way here. Sometimes there are no words to talk about. Don't 
Sometimes there are no words to talk about what really hurts. We both know something's wrong here, like we know a sin of sin. Yeah, but I'm so tired now. Got to get some sleep somehow. The whole damn world is sliding. I can't keep my grip. That was David's, Sometimes There Are No Words. This was taken from his Ship of Dreams release. Time to join David and Elliot. So, um, so what's going on? Are you, uh, you, you staying safe out there, huh? Yeah, everything seems to be all right. So, well, it's, it's getting a little bit hairy again, but same as thing, same thing as America. You know, we've got a, a lunatic in charge and things yeah. are a little bit hairy. But other than that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, here too. It's you know, obviously the president got hit, and um, you know he he um, he's not letting anybody know that he uh, that it's still deadly. He's telling everybody, "Don't worry about it." He feels twenty years younger today, and that's the drugs talking, probably, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's something talking. They say something about steer this, these cortisone steroid things that he's been taking apparently give you a sort of euphoria and a fake sense of invincibility. Yeah, I mean, but he, uh, judging by the way he was breathless at the top of the steps, it sounds to me like he was. Well, sounds to me like that the conspiracy theories that he's made it all up are probably not true. He probably has caught it, but of course he's he's weaponizing it and you know playing silly yeah. with it. He's turning it into a um, political thing at this point. Quite. And uh, tonight is the um, the vice president debates are going on tonight, and apparently so, Mike. Pence has asked for a, is it Mike Mike Pence? Is that yeah, Mike Pence. Yeah, that he's asked for a chair. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. what makes you wonder whether he, he might have caught it too. <laughs> Who knows? I know. I know, I know. But anyway, let's talk about fun things, better things than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are you doing these days? I am just doing the artwork, finishing off the artwork for a new album, which is going to yeah. be called songs of loss and love and i'm just working on that right now so i mean this really last train leaving this one this i'll show that to you that one is that's a relatively new one actually came out this year 
Oh, that, one, that one came out last year. So they're the last two, but I've actually got an, an even newer one in the pipeline now for, which oh, cool. is going to be out any, probably, probably this month even. If, really? We're just waiting. My, my wife is frantically doing illustrations upstairs as we speak because she's heart's breaking her heart that I was ready to put it out without finished artwork. Her well, idea of finished artwork is different to mine because she's an art professor. So she well, wants work. everything to be a little bit, you know. That'll work. I'd, I'd be happy just to, you know, um, throw the music out there. But um, she wants the artwork to look right, which is good. She's right. Yeah, it is. It's it's good to have an artist in the house. My wife went to a Pratt Institute. She was a fashion is a fashion designer, right? Um, and um, so yeah, I know I'm, I'm I'm with an artist too. So whatever I do is isn't right. It's messy, and it could be done better. <laughs> <laughs> as as per your backdrop, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Character, yeah. So um, yeah, man, it is kind of no, that it is kind of loud, isn't it? Um, so anyway, um, let's get started. Let's mm-hmm. go. Let's get back to the old days. What? Um, how did you decide to become a pro? A pro? How, what made you become? Uh, oh, gosh. I don't remember ever wanting to be anything else. When I was seven, I was doing, with my brother Mark, we were doing Imitations of the Shadows, which was our, our, our equivalent to, I think the Ventures in America would be the equivalent, yes. you know, instrumental band. They had some great singles, great songs. You know, very often not written by them, but beautifully interpreted. Thank Marvin on a red Strat. And oh, Bruce sure. Welsh, the other guitarist, rhythm guitarist, also on a Strat. Yeah. So, you know, that was the first, you know, in big big influence, I think. Uh, and then, you know, all the rest of it, the Stones, the yeah. King, Beatles came along in the 60s, you know. And um, so I don't remember ever being anything. Everything I did was always geared, even when I got a degree and kind of went to college, it was all thinking about, I mean, when I was interviewed, for example, by my careers advisor at 21, just finished college, got my degree. What do you want, you know, job yeah. job applications? I said, I'd like to go and work in a music shop, in a guitar shop. And she just laughed at me because she didn't understand. Now, that's yeah. absolutely the best way to meet other musicians. You're working in there and you've got a few chops yourself. You're likely to mix, meet up with other people. And when I... So the next best thing, I said, well, okay, I'd like a job in London. And she said, why London? I said, because my brother's up in Essex, which is just up the road. and We can form a little duo and do something musical. So again, she laughed, you know, she didn't. Nobody, of course, ever thought, well, it is. It's a bit like winning the lottery, making a living in the music business. It's very, very difficult. Even then it was. It's harder now still. Yeah, it is. And, um, well, um, I'm a keyboard player. I play piano. Right, uh, so yeah, but I, I went a different route. I was managing clubs and things and arenas and stadiums eventually. Wow. Okay. So um yeah, I, I kind of had to give up the playing part to stay in the business because um, it gets that can get like that. I remember in the in the in the eighties and nineties, well eighties especially when I was flying around the world after I'd left Dire Straits and I was doing solo work. And um Doing the deal became really difficult. Kind of a lot of time got got, got into getting the record deal together, getting the publishing together. Right. So you'd be, you know, you'd be jumping into a plane and flying across to three or four different countries, picking up contracts, contract, right. contract, contract as you go, and coming home with four contracts in the bag, and then licensing the work out to different record companies in different countries, and then managing all that stuff. So yeah, it became quite. Um, quite tricky to actually figure out 
where does the how does where does the time for making music come from right. in, in all of this business? And so, actually, I, I made a very very um, intentional decision at around about my fifth or sixth. I've made about eighteen or nineteen solo albums. Right. About my fifth or sixth album, I really just it was my fifth album. Actually, was the straw that broke the camel's back. I decided I was because I spent six months as a mouse person, you know, working on computers to make it. And I made the decision I was not going to make another of those kind of records. And they've all been homemade records, handmade. I wouldn't say homemade because some of them have been made in the best studios in the world, but handmade records since then. Records that that just put together with real musicians and with real 100% commitment to the to the art, if you like. Terrible for record sales, fabulous for enjoying your art and for doing the doing the right thing by yourself. And I've never looked back. That was about 1994, maybe 95, something like that, with an album called The Giver. Mm-hmm. And since then, I haven't really changed what I've been at, at and where I've been at, which is just pleasing myself. And it's been lovely. Yeah. I'm looking at your catalog. You do have, a, you have a, uh, an immense catalog. Um, Excuse me one second. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. And, uh, just that. Uh, Incredible! Put that down the microphone. Okay. <laughs> I know you need an expensive microphone for that one. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, your stuff's incredible. You're, you're um, when you guys started Dire Straits, it was yes. uh, it was a democracy, right? Uh, probably not. I think I might have thought it was, which is not not really the same thing. Uh, I I kind of founded the band, really. I mean, technically, yeah. not not really technically. Obviously, Mark was. Going to always going to be the main creative driving force in the band, but you, uh, actually, you guys played a club that I was managing in a place in New York called My Father's Place on Long Island many many years ago. Probably um, after I left, I should think. I don't. No, 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 no. You oh, really? On one of the first two tours? Okay, maybe. Yeah, the first, yeah. Maybe the yeah. first two when the first album was just breaking. Yeah, it was. And okay, um, yeah, we played some clubs then. And we often, sometimes two two shows a night stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you also um, worked out of a radio station. You did a live simulcast from. We um, did a lot of radio. Yeah. Yeah, WLIR. Yeah, WLIR radio from our club. I you believe know. you. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> uh, that you know you guys were great. And thank uh, you. And and you know your albums. You know, that first album is, 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 is a classic. It's just, a, you know, a it was pretty remarkable. We'd be in, in you know, in a, on the freeway somewhere in America, first time in America, too. So the whole thing's like a movie anyway. Mm-hmm. And then you'd, we'd be um, driving along and you'd be f- flipping the radio channels and every channel was playing something. I mean, just you could find five of our tracks playing simultaneously on five different channels. Good old days. But all playing different tracks, you know. Yep. Proper independent radio, yeah, of course. Yeah. Long before anyone dreamed up the Clear Channel formula yeah. for destroying radio. Yeah, I, I worked for Clear Channel, not for them um, um, directly, but they were my client. Right. They own they own the properties that I managed. Okay. So yeah, we're we're all slaves to Clear Channel, right? <laughs> well, I did an interview with them last time I was in America, and and they unlocked the studio to go in and do the interview and then he locked it all up afterwards because the whole thing's on autopilot. There's no staff huh? in there. Yeah. yeah it's Absolutely horrific. And what happened was Claire channel had such a bad rep um, that they had to change their name to live nation. Oh, they changed. So that's, they're not called Claire channel anymore. 
Live Nation is okay. now. So yeah. Okay. And um, that got to the that became um, a necessity when they started banning music that had anything to do with uh, sex and drugs and rock and roll. Pretty much. <laughs> you know, any any referral to sex and drugs and you weren't allowed to play it for Claire Channel. Now I was involved in the radio, I was involved in their properties, but um, you know, all, all the bands kind of got PO'd and uh, they refused to play Claire Channel. Um, yeah, good so, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I just realised that all this time I've had my speakers on, so it's all been a bit pointless me wearing these headphones. <laughs> so oh, just, okay. So you feel better now? I've turned the volume down, so maybe it's going to improve the audio slightly. Yeah, yeah, well, you'll get an echo, right? Uh, well, I won't get an echo anymore. I was going to yeah. get one before. Yeah, no more I'm, well, I'm not noticing it. So I just noticed that that when I record with this, I record my records using this mic, uh-huh. that sometimes uh-huh. sometimes I'm, I've recorded it and I've done a vocal overdub or something, and I go and listen to it, and I realize that there's a, just a little bit of volume showing between the vocal lines. Like, oh, no, you know, I go back and I've forgotten what, to, what, what, forgotten what kind to of mute my speakers. Yeah. What, what, what kind of mic is that? That's an 87 Neumann. A beautiful okay. mic. So I have two of them. Yeah. Um, I bought one when I could afford them and one when I couldn't, when the, when the one that I had broke. So <laughs> it was a big outlay to get the second one. But then I yeah. got the first one repaired. So now I'm in the lucky position of having one for my guitar and one for my vocal. And really, you don't need, I've got three on my piano over there behind me, uh-huh. over there where you can't see, but there's three. I've got a couple of 414s over there, which are very nice AKGs as well. This is an AKG. They're good mics. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, it all, it's horses for court. I've got a funny story about mics, actually. I, I just mentioned it in my podcast that I've just finished recording. I do, I do these podcasts from my Patreon account. I have a bunch of, of patrons, wonderful people who support my work. Oh, cool. And every, every month I do a little a thing like this, really, except just audio only, and just me and nobody else. Uh-huh. And I talk about two or three tracks. I was telling us this very story about mics to them just yesterday. Uh, has it already been broadcast? Yes, it has, so it's okay to tell it. Um, oh. It was Shelley Yakis and Jimmy Ivey when we were doing Making the making Movies, the third Dire Straits album. And uh, <laughs> it was, I'd, I'd asked them both what was the worst mistake they ever made when they were beginning, when they were tape-ups and they were starting out, you know. And Shelley had a couple of great ones, which I won't go into now, but Jimmy, Jimmy Ivan, who's now head of Universal, I believe. Oh, sure. Um, he was a tape-op on the John Lennon sessions. He was just starting out, and John came into the studio with somebody else to do backing vocals. It might have been Elton John, I don't know. can't remember who it was. They were going to do that John Lennon song, Whatever Gets You Through the Night, on the Walls and Bridges album. Sure. And... Uh, and Jimmy was the only person there. There was no engineer. And so John turns to Jimmy and says, set up a couple of mics. And rather than going, I have no idea how to do that. Sure, sure, John. He goes to the mic room, you know, the, the cupboard where all the mics are. He says, I just picked up the two brightest, biggest, shiniest ones I could find, you know. That's <laughs> up two real big, shiny mics. They sounded like goddamn chipmunks. <laughs> and you hear it on the record, they do. They apparently had used bass drum mics, whatever that meant. An engineer yeah. would understand, but clearly not the ones that he should have used. Wow. So, yeah, the, the mics are what horses for courses. It's what you want to use them for. And then yeah. 87 is pretty good for vocals. Lennon was a lot of fun, I understand. Um, I know um, I have a friend, um, uh, maybe you know him, um, 
Artie Cornfeld, the man who um, I know the name. Woodstock. Yeah, he put together Woodstock. Oh, okay, that's why I know him. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, he already um, is at the Ricket Plant in New York, mm-hmm. and you know the, he's producing an album, and um, he he had a drug problem at the time. And I could tell the story. I already told it on my podcast. It's been out there for years now. And um, Artie actually started Cocaine Anonymous. He's he's the guy who started that branch of it. Okay. So anyway, he's he's in the stall and, and he put out a couple of lines and he bends down to uh, you know to, to snort a couple of lines and his leg gets wet and he turns around and John Lennon urinates on is urinating on his leg. Oh, nice. And he turns around and Lennon says to him, "Sorry, mate, but I can't see a thing without my glasses." <laughs> <laughs> Probably a true story. So, yeah. Speak, so speaking be- of speaking of doing lines, that reminds me of uh, Phil Lynott coming to um, coming to this uh, gig in London. We were doing the Straits were doing about nineteen eighty uh-huh. and uh, seventy nine eighty something like that. I've forgotten the name of the venue now. It was about a two thousand seater theatre, and. Uh, Phil was guest spotting with us coming on to do a guest spot. And so backstage beforehand, he, he lays out five lines of Coke, which we all, of course, I'd never, I've never touched it to this day. Never even tried it. Five lines laid out for us and for him, you know, and we all politely were about to do a show. I don't know whether the other guys ever occasionally took it, but I never saw it. And I certainly never did. And, uh, and he looked at the five lines and looked at us and was absolutely delighted and snorted all five. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then went onto the went onto the stage and played an absolute blinder. You know, he goes goes to the yeah. audience, come on, come on. And they're all yeah, going, yeah, yeah. yeah, oh Phil, whoa. And a bit and a bit of show ended ten minutes early, right? It was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was great. What a fantastic showman. It was a natural showman. Uh, very yeah. different, very different man in real. Lovely, lovely fella in real life. Probably a nightmare to be married to, but what a nice guy. <laughs> what happened with them? Um, I, I don't know if you want to, if something you talk about, if you don't talk about. Why, why did, did the whole uh, Dire Straits thing, when you were involved with them, they had a different sound than when you left, obviously. I was always wanting it to have the sound that they eventually uh, yeah. evolved to. I was so jealous when Alan joined. It was the one regret. Was that I yeah. never, because Alan was the keyboard player. It was my one regret. Yeah. I, was I spoke to Alan about a month ago. Okay. And so my big regret was that, nice guy, was yeah. that uh, I didn't get to stick around long enough to work. I, I got to work with Roy Batan, though, in the studio. Right. Which was awesome. Having, I mean, having a keyboard player just made everything so much easier. Uh, so, you know, when, when I was trying, when I was playing with the band, there was just a four of us and only right. two guitars. And I was effectively trying to play two parts every night. You know, sure. on the record, there was much more stuff going on. And so inevitably, on the recordings and then on the live performance, these have to be translated somehow. And I was having to fill in a lot more stuff right. than you can really do with six strings and two hands. So it was always a little bit challenging live. It was, you probably, if you'd looked at videos of me playing in those times, you'll not see my head turning up very often. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. busy yeah. as all hell trying yeah. to make it go. So I, I I was never a, a Luddite about that. I always wanted the band to be expanded, and maybe not quite as much as it went to in the end, but um, I, it was a natural evolution. I think Mark made all the right choices about the band, and it's proven with an album like Brothers in Arms and the Sills it got. Yeah, but... Um, something was a bit special about the four-piece. Well, that's always the way. People, yeah, was, yeah. I there's know, always yeah. A, there's always something nice about early bands and the and the, the joint enthusiasm that comes. Also, when people are bringing 
110% of themselves to bear uh-huh. on a project, a band project. There's a different energy to when you hire, even with the best will in the world, the best session players, because there's a different commitment, there's a different level of commitment. When I, I only work with the kind of players who write as they play, and that's what I like. You know, Someone like Alan's just naturally creative. My only job as a producer with Alan is to get out of the way, to let him play. Sure. sure. You'll just off you'll go. <laughs> It'll be fantastic. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I think Brothers in Arms is where I kind of, I, I don't know. Um, I, I didn't really love that album. I thought it was Okay. Pop, but 25 pop. million people disagreed with you there. I know, I know, I know. But, but that's, that's, that's a perfectly legitimate position. I, I, obviously, my fan base, 99% of them, if they know Dire Straits at all, which is a mix, I've got a mix. They've got a few that, that are old enough and that are around and that love Dire Straits. Although having toured for 25, 35 years on my own, obviously in Germany particularly, uh-huh. I've built up a following that it doesn't really have yeah. Dire Straits as a reference. But for those that do, of, of course, the first two albums, are there's something a bit special about that sound. Yes. Yeah. Now, I thought the live album was spectacular. Um, that, that happened to have been a great, you know, Straits album. But I think um, Brothers in Arms kind of, uh, it kind of jumped the rails a bit. You know, that old saying, jump the shark. I just think it was a little too popsy for Dire Straits. <laughs> you, know, you, you know what I mean? I, no, not really, because I think two songs on there, two standouts. Well, yeah, there were some popsy songs in it, but you can't do anything about songs like uh, the title song, Brothers in Arms. It's just yeah. probably Mark's best best written song, maybe. I don't um, know. And then you've got, um, of course, Money for Nothing, which is another, just a killer, yeah. riff, yeah. killer riff. I mean, Mark's done some lovely solo work. I don't, I don't actually know very much of it. I came across one of his tracks by accident the other day. I just... So I thought, it's great, you know, really great songwriting, really but great he, professional. He went, back to, he went back to the first two Dire Straits. He did, yeah, he's gone back. He's gone back. Well, he's, we all have, really. I mean, I went, yeah. I went unplugged in 95, as I said. Uh-huh. I've been That's doing, good. which is good because we, Harry and I, my, my guitarist and buddy, Harry, who I've known for 40 years, is, um, who tours with me, we, 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 we set out as an unplugged duo with just two acoustic guitars and a piano and no, no, no pedals, no effects, and we put on a good show that way. And we were ahead of the curve with that because really it's become very difficult for big, clunky bands that need a lot of PA and kit and stuff to, to perform and make any money. So we've been making a nice, quiet living doing it for, for decades. Beautiful. And, and, and it's also- fun. It's, yeah, it's, it's lovely. You have, you have total control. And then when you bring the other guys in, it's nice for a little while. But after after a few shows with a big band, you're kind of going, Harry and I are just looking at each other going, you know, we can can do this song without them. So, you know.
That, well, that's all gotten a bit. That's all going to be reversed, isn't it? Because if we're ever going to go back to playing live again, we're going to have to go back to bigger venues, which are then yeah. going to be one third full. It's the only way it's going to work. Yeah, which is a shame because these small. Um... Oh, they're fantastic! I love it. There's nothing. I I, I hated playing stadiums. Yeah, uh, yeah. Still do. I mean, I don't. I've never liked anything. Anything that's too big to have proper proper plush seats. I don't mind a big theatre. But the the ideal size for me is about two or three hundred, maybe four hundred. You know, anything you know, seven hundred even is okay. But when you get up to seventeen thousand and twenty four thousand, you yeah, it's black ice. You've got very little control on the stage. It's very hard to, yeah. it's very hard to get the stage sound to behave itself because everything's so so, and especially if it's a one one off setup where you're dealing with crew who don't particularly know what you're up to. It can be a lot of those festivals are really nobody confesses it, but they're a nightmare. They pay well, but they're not much fun to do because the sound is never anything like as good as you'd get in a nice little club where you're chilled out and you know yeah. your audi- your audience is as far away as that screen is to me now. Yeah, that's. I mean, that that 
that is the uh, optimum, um, uh, con- you know, concert experience. I think well, so. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm going to ask this question, answer it, don't answer it. It's up to you. Any chance of you and uh, Mark doing anything together? Well, we get on all right. Um, I just don't think he has any interest in, in doing it. I, I would love to, I would love the checks too, that come with it. The, the wired transfer, you'd call it these days, wouldn't you? Um, yeah, of course. I'd love, I love working with Mark was always a joy musically. I mean, in terms of personalities, it was a bit of a nightmare towards the end back in 1980, but we were a lot younger then. Things change, you know. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's a, I think he's an extraordinary talent and, and having, playing with him is always, I noticed it even back then, back in the, in the seventies when we were just putting the first band together and, other people would come around to jam with us. They'd all go away feeling that they played a bit better than they really did <laughs> because working with Mark, you know, was, what, what he does brings a certain element of, of, of sophistication to the performance of the other player. So he always yeah. made me feel like I was playing better than perhaps I would have otherwise been. Yeah. But you know, you're, you're, you're a great rhythm player. You, you, you kept that. I get uh, by. Yeah. Good enough. Yeah, I mean, you are, I mean, the two of you together were a great team. Yeah. There was a lot of, there was a lot of synergy and, and magic in that formula. You'd see it with the talking heads too. When, when we, we yeah. toured with them on their first tour, <laughs> something just fell on the floor. Well, I think we played with them on our first tour and they, you know, they were just a simple four piece, but together they made a really interesting noise. Yeah. But I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's the brother thing. Um, Partly you know, probably. Uh, you know that you guys kind of grew up together. You kind you you have like one. Well, you know it. You know each other's moves and thoughts, and, yes. and you can read their faces and you can read their body language. And you know, I knew when he was struggling, without you know, before he almost he did. You know, I'd yeah. know when I needed to step up and step up a gear. Yeah. We'd have good nights where where you know I'd be covering for him, and good nights where he'd be covering for me. You're not always a hundred percent either, sure. especially when you're playing six shows a twelve shows a week. You know, two shows a night, six nights a week. So you know, there's all that goes on, and of course, you get to know each other, and you get to know what's going to, where the magic's going to come. Okay. And um, any new music that you've been listening to? You know, anything other than my own? Yeah. Uh, I'd I'd have needed to have been prepared for that because I'd have to think about it, and I think that's the long gap while I'm busy cogitating would make for very boring podcasts. Yeah, because actually I've been talking to a lot of uh, um, kind of legacy guys, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, nobody, nobody stumbled upon any new music. For uh, it's there. It's there. It, it's, it's not. The problem is there aren't the filters anymore. When I was, even, even, in, even back in the 90s, you know, I'd, I'd go to Germany, I'd visit with a friend of mine called Alan Bangs, who was a DJ over there. And we'd go back to his flat after whatever was going on in the evening. Uh-huh. And he'd play me things that, you know, he collect, he got a hold of everything. Every, any, any new release came his way. And so, you know, he'd, he'd find something like, have you heard this thing? And he'd put on Dig Down Deep, the B-side of the first Mark Cohen single, you know. Yeah. And I'd be going, what the hell is this? Oh, my God, I'm going to give up. Is this really this guy's first song? This can't be right. You know, stuff like that would go on. And... uh that doesn't happen now because anybody and everybody's out there on YouTube making music. Yeah. Um, I, you know, you, I come across things. I liked Larkin Poe the other night. I just heard them playing little duo, female duo who 
you don't need to mention the fact that they're female. They're finally, we've got to the point where the sexism in the industry is gone and they're just yeah. two great musicians playing together, you know, and that's how it should be. Um, they, they sound really nice. They make a good noise as a duo. Uh-huh. There's, there's things I come across. I don't look for it really. I stumble, you know, when you're on Facebook, you stumble across things. Right. Um, and I'm forever on Facebook. It eats up far too much of my time, but yeah. So yeah. that happens. Um, yeah. I mean, I found, I, I, they're not new anymore, but I mean, I've been listening to like a lot of uh, Osric tentacles, things like that, you know, um, you know, just, you know, um, not, not, not really prog, but more of a, uh, um, the old Canterbury scene on steroid type type thing, you know. It wouldn't mean a thing to me. Oh, okay. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> sounds like sounds like at least twenty years ahead of my time. No, it's actually <laughs> forty years behind your time. Oh, maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I spoke to John Fiddler. Do you, do you remember John Fiddler from Medicine Head? I remember Medicine Head. Yeah, well, it's John. John okay. Fiddler. And um, he was in British Lions, the the Mata Hoople, uh, uh you know, it was Martha Hoople plus new people after Ian okay. Hunter left and things like that. And um, his sound, uh, the old, you know, John Peel kind of nurtured him in the day. And um, John had some really interest, made some really interesting music before he got into punk. And then punk kind of seems to have rotted his brain. You know, his just, ears. <laughs> after that, I don't, I, I don't think he even listened to the stuff he played. I think he just got off on being really irritated and just irritating the local. Yeah, yeah, thing. well. Establishment, well, Medicine, you know. Medicine Head was a band that he um, yeah, had just. to sign to his label. John Lennon, Eric Clapton, and Pete Townsend made him sign them to his label. Oh, okay. And, uh, so you know, we're going back to 68, 69. And, um, now, now, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it was great. It was a two-man band. And uh, you were talking about the two-man thing. Uh, go, mm. back, you know, go back and uh, check them out. You can find them on YouTube and everything. But John just put out a single now, and he's, I guess... Uh, in his late seventies, and it sounds so new and refreshing that it's incredible. Not everybody and, goes to seed. Not a lot do. Yeah. A lot get worse. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people seem to, you know, and uh, some manage to either get better or at least hold on to us to what they what they discovered in their most creative years. Uh-huh. I I've I've always liked to think that I'm forever learning and improving, but. It's, it's down to what an audience think, you know, an audience will, will peg you with a certain period of your music and you may be stuck with that for life. And um, out of your albums, what do you suggest people listen to, to really pick up on that David Knopfler sound? Um, I would suggest uh, Last Train Leaving for sure. It's the most yeah. recent release. Okay. I'm pretty, pretty happy with that one. And I would also recommend maybe, Ship of Dreams, which was CD9, Ship of Dreams, as a, a good kind of all-round mix of, of stuff. Harry, my guitarist and co-producer, always has a soft spot for CD7, which is called oh, Small Mercies, Small Mercies, CD7. Harry likes that one because I think it's, it's a nice, tidy little project. The songs are good and tight and everything kind of – and we were prob- probably still – in our thirties when we made that one, but that's yeah, a nice, nice record too. And you have a pretty nice anthology um, disc out too. I'm just about to do anthology number four as soon as uh, the oh. next songs of lost and loves, the next album after right. that, I'm bringing out an anthology and then I'm bringing out 
CD 21, which of which I've got about six songs lined up. So I'm, I'm ahead of, wow. ahead of my release schedule, so to speak, in terms of what I'm doing in the lab. How about a box, some kind of a box, just, you know, your history, you know, David Malcolm. Yeah, I've never done a box set. I probably, I, I noticed that Dire Straits are doing one. They're doing the six studio albums and they're bringing it out yes. at a fantastic price. I think you can pick it up on Prime for about sixteen ninety nine or something for six albums. It's just in it's pounds, I guess, sorry, not dollars, but 25 bucks. Yeah. But it's insanely cheap. I mean, you're getting six albums for 25 bucks. What? You know? How are, how is anyone going to get paid from that? I don't know. I know remastered and everything. We're remastered. And the remastering is never a good idea. No. I heard the Dire Straits original is much better than the remastered. Uh-huh. The remastered has, in my opinion, it's all everyone's got different opinions. In my opinion, it's been remastered with too much top, and uh-huh. it's too brittle, and it's it's kind of it's got all that digital filtering going on. But the original. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. What can give you a competitive edge in today's red-hot housing market? Rocket can. That's because Rocket Mortgage can give you a verified approval. It could help your offer stand out. Rocket technology provides a rock-solid verification of your income, assets, and credit, giving sellers greater confidence in you. Go to rocketmortgage.com or call us today at 8338-ROCKET. A verified approval is based on an underwriter's analysis of your individual financial information, appraisal, and title report. Call for cost information and conditions equal housing lender license in all 50 states and MLS Consumer Access.org number 3030. The original was better. It was nicer. It's just kinder on the ears, and it was more honest. It was more balanced somehow.
was mixed great when it first came out it had a great sound to it yeah Rhett Davis was a good engineer and and Muff didn't mess with us basically we got the tracks down in about three or four days first uh-huh. album uh and then basically most of the rest of the time was just spent with Mark you know finessing leads lead solos finessing his vocals and all that stuff we the band basically got it down real quick uh-huh. they were more or less live performances you know the basic backing tracks were were just put down live and then then we'd repair you know you might go back and repair the bass part here and there you might go back and but and the overdubs were, were absolutely minimal i think we probably spent about 10 minutes on backing vocals and about 15 yeah. minutes on percussion my the lack of backing vocals on dire straits used to upset me greatly i you know in my fantasy world we would have been a like those american west coast bands doing lots of and I think that was the very thing that Mark wanted to avoid. He wanted, I mean, his he, he wanted to keep things stripped down and the singer yeah. and the song, you know, which well, is legitimate. Yeah, but um, I, I always consider you not that not that your music's anywhere um, similar to it. But Steely Dan um, albums always sounded pristine. You know, they always sounded oh, really Christ, nice. Yeah, Mark, Mark did a session for them once, and absolutely. <laughs> stories about it was well, really you could write a book about it fantastic the stories you know how many how many players they they put through their paces to get what they wanted sure they weren't and, scared of hiring 10 different lead guitarists for 10 10 different tries on the same you know on the same song until they got the one they wanted um but dire straits was obviously um not as uh you know um you know as as deep and everything else is, you know, as jazzy and, and overlayered and overlayers and overlayers and steely Dan, but your albums always sounded um, clean and pristine. And they were well, they were clean. Yeah, they were well produced. I mean, they were clean and, and that got more and more ridiculous as we went along. The first album made in three weeks, the second album in about five or six, the third album, we were five days getting a drum sound. I mean, <laughs> if I don't get it, if I don't get a drum sound in 20 minutes, I'm going to, you know, hit somebody. Yeah. Insane. I mean, we were working in New York City, paying 200 bucks an hour for the studio at the power station. And we were in a, all in hotels. And every day I'd come in and bang, bang, bang. Okay, let's go, go back again. Come in the next day, bang, bang, bang. Trying out. For, and, you know, the, the whole problem with making movies it's a great album in terms of songs and everything production, but man, man, you, if you could just turn those drums down a bit, <laughs> you know, Romeo and Juliet, what a great song drums. If, if you start listening and you start thinking about the drums, man, are they too loud? You know, cause that was the style in 1980. You yeah. wanted the drums. It, we, it was my fault too, because I'd said to, I'd given Mark down the torpedoes. I'd given him that album and said, just play this. This is the record we should be making. So completely my fault, you know, in a way, although it's, of course, Down the Torpedoes, what a fantastic album, Refugee, one of my favorite all-time songs. Jimmy did that one too, right? Jimmy did that one too, yeah. Yeah. That's how Mark hooked up with Jimmy. He went to New York and met with him. Yeah. Um, I I was horrified when I found out we were going to make it in New York because I knew that the pressures of, just dealing with each other and dealing with the dynamics of the personalities in the band was already stressful enough. I thought New York City's gonna just gonna tip us one, gonna be one straw too many, and and in my case, it was. 
Yeah, I grew up in New York City, so I, I love I it. Like, I mean, it's a great place, but it's it's not a place for for chillaxing, really. Not not you know. I mean, you've got to be kind of. It's a lovely, vibrant, live place, but you've really got to be on your metal to be there. We used to tell we used to tell bands and stuff if you want to, uh, you know, if you want to hang out and have fun, go to L.A. If you want to get your work done, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we once we <laughs> we once guested on a. I'm not going to name names, but we wound up back at the Mud Club in New York with a West Coast famous West Coast band. Yeah. <laughs> Every two songs, they were all off in the bathroom going. <laughs> You know, we couldn't get anything done because they were just constantly having fun, you know, or their idea of fun anyway. Yeah, those were the uh, crazy days. I um, Yeah. Yeah, I've been talking to a lot of bands that, um, a lot of guys from bands now that, uh, you know, that, that's the reason why so many bands imploded because of the drug scene back then. I bet. I can imagine it couldn't help. It, but it didn't help. I'm sure it didn't no. help. It just, in my what I what I, what little I saw of it all. I mean, I had vice presidents offering me, you know, American vice. You want some coke? I mean, well, you know, it was just ubiquitous. Traces blown away 
Trump's really it did it did and, and um, I think it, it became like a status thing if you didn't have your vial in your pocket and I never uh, I mean I just stayed away from all that I mean yeah. I, I had a I had a brief flirtation with smoking pot which uh-huh. suited, suited my, my my student personality should I say before uh-huh. dire straits really and then I spent two years being really responsible as a professional social worker so there was no uh-huh. drugs then you know and yes. uh, and then there was the occasional dabble in the early dire straits days, but really not much. And so drugs were for me a bit forbidden to be avoided. Although the excessive drinking, on the other hand, <laughs> you know, yeah, well, probably, uh, I probably I probably would have these days been classified as you know a functional alcoholic. Looking back, thinking about how much we consumed, but that was just what everybody did in 1978. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You needed um. I know you needed something to get you through the day. Um, <laughs> it's, it's nuts. It was, it was, I mean, by the end of three years, I, you know, what they actually expected of us was ridiculous. I mean, even in the first, first days, when we played in Amsterdam for the first time, did Pink Pop, and we did a, we had, we had a Top of the Pop show, their, their, a television show for pop music, where Sultans had gone top 10. That was our first big break, you know, and, we, they took us to a hotel and they arranged, they'd arranged for something like 13 interviews each. Wow. And we hadn't had lunch. We hadn't had dinner. Nobody took a break. There wasn't, you know, our manager was completely, had no idea what he'd let himself in for. We, and it wasn't until about, you know, 11 o'clock that we realized that we'd been had, you know, and yeah. that if you don't draw, if you don't draw lines around these things and say this much we can do and this much we can't, you, you'll very quickly be completely overwhelmed. Right, right, right. And you guys were young. You, you guys, were yeah. Young. I was twenty-four. Yeah, yeah. I was the young. I was the baby in the band at twenty-four. We were old by the standards of bands in those days, but uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, you know, young, young in terms of music business experience for sure. Yeah. Also, um, you know, just just the maturity level was was young. I was um, the most mature. <laughs> <laughs> having you know, having been an ex-social worker and having to have you know take children into care and do that kind of serious yeah. shit, you know, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I I had a real. It was very difficult for me to adjust to being the cute one, you know, which is what uh-huh. immediately happened. You know, every band has a every band has a cute one, and I, I was de- the designated cute one at that time. Yeah, you were the uh, yeah you were the pretty guy, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, I, I, I looked completely in and totally gay. 
<laughs> just you know i know us, us cute guys it's a curse <laughs> it was <laughs> back in the well, when you're 24 you know i mean and it was the fashion it was the style it was how you looked uh yep. i was brought up raised completely on that 60s you know look of, of uh-huh. long long very long hair and da, da. i got my hair cut off for dire straits at the early days and it was the most unnatural thing i'd ever done just yeah. to look a bit more contemporary because punk and new wave was so I had my hair all cropped off and it was like, whoa, who's this? Yeah. Well, yeah, those were uh, great days though. They really weren't. I mean, really? if you say so, I think well, these days are way better. Music wise, they were. Were they? <sighs> Nostalgia is a thing, isn't it? Yeah, it, is. it really is. I mean, we all, we all like to think that our, you know, every generation likes to think that its own period of, nostalgic reflection is the one that counts i mean everybody's got a different generational attitude to this i i go i've not that long ago been in little clubs in places like la and seen young aspiring singer-songwriters they're totally immersed in their own little scene now at 2020 it's just different it's it's different and they're all geared up the whole younger generation are geared up to making a living online they make they do a few they'll do a few gigs but they're also they've got a their fan base is all signed up. They've got great websites. They've got Patreon. They've got YouTube. They've got you know, Instagram. They've got TikTok. They've got I know Twitter, Facebook. You name it. They're up completely up to speed on all of it. I have a degree in marketing. And, Do you? Uh, yeah. I could, you, I could use your advice. Not anymore. You can't. Years <laughs> you what? Sorry. Say again. 20 years ago, you could have used my advice. Okay, right? good. it's changed, oh, of course. Well, that's exactly, that was the same thing. I wrote a book called Bluff You Were in the Rock Music Business. Uh-huh. It's got nothing useful to say because it yeah. was written, written from a different period before the yeah. internet. I, I, it's incredible. Marketing changed. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, it did a 180. There's nothing that makes sense to me anymore. No. Well, my son said to me, can I see your analytics? And I said, what? What are they? You know? Yeah, only, <laughs> yeah. Only my doctor gets to see my analytics. <laughs> I understand what he's talking about. He's talking about my Patreon analytics, and he's talking yeah, about yeah, my, yeah. my Paris Records website, which sells my CDs. The analytics from there. So yesterday, actually, for the first time, <laughs> I opened those pages. You know, normally I just think, yeah, that's something. Else. I don't know what that's about. Yeah. And I kind of looked at them and I thought, oh, that's quite interesting, but I, it's not my thing. I mean, marketing, people with online experience will know what to do about that. Yeah, they'll, yeah. they'll be able to dissect all that and tell me what I need to be doing. But it's the painful elaboration of the obvious. What I need to be doing is spending more time on doing business and less time doing music. And that's not what I want. I know you need, I know, I know. Because I'm sure I could improve the website, but it would take a week of my life to do it. Sure, I could, you know, spend more time marketing and, and advertising but also with advertising, it's only too easy to spend a dollar to make 50 cents. I know. It's, it's um, really, there's a million people who will advise you to do that too, because that's how they make their living. Right. I, I don't have the luxury of spending any money on marketing and advertising. And no, I don't know how to, and I really don't know how to do it myself. It's, 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 too, it's too time consuming and it's too difficult. It's hard I'm enough not, just to get a record made. How's your podcast doing? It's fine. It's fun. It's easy. Yeah. I do three so I do about three songs and talk for about five minutes. Oh, really? I mean, it's it's just a little twenty minute thing for for the people that have signed up to to be patrons at my Patreon account, and oh. it, it's easy. I don't do it once a month, so it takes an afternoon once a month, maybe. Right, right. Um, That's cool. 
but I couldn't. I mean, it, I don't. I just don't know how to even turn my head to thinking about making a living from from what I do. I mean, I make a living somehow, yeah. or at least I was until we stopped touring. Right. But Are it you, comes from so many different places. It, you know, the incomes, none of the incomes particularly impressive on its own, but when you pile it all together, somehow you pay the rent and you get on with things. Right. And and there's still, uh, there's still dire straits for LT, right? Sure. Yeah, sure. Yes. And oddly enough, it does it does keep coming in because they keep coming up with ever more inventive ways of yeah collecting sure something. Bo- I know the box set's coming on vinyl as well. I don't think that's going to help me though, personally. I could be wrong. We'll find out. I mean, I doubt if it'll help me financially because the, we're going to lose all the sales on the first two albums. Right. That all the royalties from those will go go to zero, while the yeah. box set, which will probably pay me about one tenth of what they would have paid me. Right. Um, will come in, but I doubt if it'll. I don't. You know, I doubt if it'll compensate. I think it'll probably balance itself out. I doubt if I'll f- f- feel any benefit from it. I'll tell you something interesting. I mean, this we're going back a couple of decades already. But do you remember the Beatles anthologies when they came out? Yeah. Um, Pete Best made three million dollars on uh, being on that first one. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I thought he. Got, I thought he got some money because somebody just gave him. Gift, gifted him a million to bucks. That was the way I heard the story, but I, I, I wouldn't I, know. I thought he made three million on. A, a I rather world. doubt it. I'm not saying I'm not saying he didn't make something, but yeah. these stories, you know, people add noughts. These, yeah. these, the reality of of making money in the music business is an awful lot tougher than than most people care to admit. You can make a living, but it, the, the chances oh. of the chances of ever making serious big money, it's so one in a million, one in a hundred thousand. It's really difficult. These yeah. runaway hits, they're so few and far between. And nowadays, I don't think there are any. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's Bacon or Sausage Egg and Cheese Biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. All right, we're at home with Claire, who is warming up for a bit of boxer size. Yep, she's welcomed in the new year with a fancy new workout setup. Look at that branded punch bag with matching gloves. And that gorgeous coordinated athleisure. So coordinated. She is working out and working it. Well, with prices this good on designer workout gear, how couldn't she? Whoa! She's back on the sofa. With her feet in an excellently priced foot spa. Iconic. Get those toes to Marshalls. Fabulous brands. Feel good prices. At Marshalls. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm making a ton of money in my podcast. There you go. Well, well done. Yeah, I made I made twelve dollars last month, <laughs> and, and it cost me twenty to host it. <laughs> it's, this is you know, I, I you know, it, I what I get from streaming is uh-huh. it's just hilarious. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah, so I mean, you know, like I, something I like Spotify that pays point whatever it is that even though yeah, it doesn't yeah, point yeah. no no no. Three yep. cents of play or something. I was so happy I got twelve dollars, and then I said to myself, "Wait, you idiot! It cost twenty to do." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not. You know, it comes in. I get a few hundred here and there, it mm-hmm. kind of, and sometimes a few thousand here and there. 
it yeah. comes in, but it's not easy, any of it. There's yeah. no, I mean, I make it's easy. A tour is a much more simple proposition, is a much simpler proposition. You know, you've got a net in and a, in a net out and you know what you're going to make. And I make sure I've got a guarantee. I don't play without guarantees. And so, you know, if I'm touring, I know, I know at the end of the tour, I've made X amount. And then, you know, usually I could live for a year on that. Okay. You but, come to uh, the States? I mean, obviously not now. Not, no, not, this is that, that doesn't include the States. <laughs> so because when you play the States, you, you've got, I mean, my last American tour, there were more flights than there were gigs. Yeah. yeah your yeah. costs are completely unmanageable. Um, are you going any shot of you coming back here? I don't have an agent worth talking about. I have an agent called Keith Putney, who's arguably the worst agent in the world. I mean, <laughs> I, I, bless him, Keith. I mean, I don't know how he makes a living, but he, he, he's certainly not proactive. Yeah. I mean, if, if, I got an over, if I got an overwhelming demand from individual venues directly uh-huh. to me, and then I, I send those to him, he would throw together a crazy heart too, which would make no sense. He'd just plug them all together and there'd be, yeah. you know, ridiculous journeys up and down and across the country yeah. to make it work. And it, it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't, re- I mean, I've never had a, a real, I've never had a manager and I've never had an agent in America. Right. You would need both those things to make America work, but I've toured a few times and I had a lot of fun. It's lovely to play. What I love about playing in America is that you've got an audience where you don't have a language barrier. I mean, mm-hmm. There's almost less of a language barrier when I play to an American audience than there actually is when I play to an English audience. I mean, because yeah. they're so attuned to listening to the song and listening. Right. They really listen in America. I mean, and and it's wonderful because you'll get this feed, the very different quality of, of feed. And they all clap on the three in America. You know, they understand that. Or on the sure. two, you know, the, the one, yeah. two, three, yeah. Yeah. Four, yeah. one, two, three, yeah. four. They can be very sophisticated in the way they clap. You know, in, <laughs> in Europe, it's all one, two, three, every time. I write yeah. songs when I know I'm going to do a clap along. I write a song that's going to work with a one. You go and play uh-huh. in America and they go and hit the two and they go, no, no. You and James Brown, it's on the one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I write a couple of songs deliberately thinking in the back of my mind that that will be the clap along, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you need, a cla- you need a clap along. It's good to have a clap along. It's fun to have a clap along. But you need to, make, you know, sometimes they don't always lend themselves to the clap. <laughs> yeah, that was James Brown thing. It's on the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good idea. You know? Maybe you ought to put together a reggae band. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a nice thing as well while it lasted reggae yeah. in the 70s that was a great it's nice to when you come back to it fresh after having not heard it for 20 or 30 years it's a pain in the ass when you can't get away from it you know if you're living in brixton in london it's just there in your face back as it was back then in the 70s you couldn't escape it right right, right. Um, so so yeah. if you could get if you could get something lined up in the states you would so you would come across and, and do something i don't know is the honest answer really i'm getting older age is becoming a factor that now has to be you know has to be factored in. Age was never something I had to factor in before, but now I feel like, well, maybe I should be factoring it in because how much physical punishment can a body? And you, you know, when you're when you every week you're reading about somebody falling over and dying of about of our know, generation, you're going to fall over anyway one day. So well, no, it's not. The thing is, the gig isn't the hard part. The no. gig's the easiest. The gig's easy. Yeah. Carrying two guitars, you know, across across time zones and on airplanes 
up and down. In, I mean, the last, the last two, as I said, there were more flights than there were gigs. I wasn't joking about that. That was a fact. I know. Uh, most of the shows involved a f- two, at least two flights to get there. Right. And then two flights to get out of it again. I mean, you can't, you can't do two flights and then do a show that night. It, not, not, not expect to be punished physically for doing it. And if you're being put into kind of bad motels while you're at it, where sleep is going to be. Yeah, lousy food. Everything's going to be second rate. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult. And your transport being perhaps being transported and not the greatest of vehicles. Yeah. Well, you've got a back cracking van that's got wheat, got bed, got, it's got uh, seats in it, but it's not really a, a proper touring bus. Yeah, it just sure. all, a lot, so much depends on the level. And as right. you get older and you've done thousands of shows, this sort of stuff. Yeah, gets very just, real very quickly. If things are badly handled and you've got a, you've just got a, a bums on seats promoter who doesn't give a shit, yeah. it really very quickly becomes something that's to, something to be avoided at all costs because it can cost you your life. You know. Yeah, it can. You know, it can. But um, yeah, you know, what, what what kind of gear are you playing now? What, what kind of? Uh, well, I've got a nice um, little grand piano I've had all my life, which I bought back in nineteen eighty. Uh, which suits me just fine. A black grand piano, which is you can't see, but it's over there. I would, if I had a, if I had a, uh, yeah. a micro, if I had a camera, I could turn. I would show it to you, but I'm on a I'm on a fixed screen here. Um, and I have a, a, a huge collection of guitars, you know, yeah. that are all very, you know, precious to me. They get more and more. But it used to just be tools for me, guitars. I never cared about them when they were a dime a dozen my favorite guitar was usually somebody else's because they'd taken the trouble to set it up properly <laughs> yeah. um but i've gradually come to having a much deeper appreciation of what a great instrument can do and what it can deliver and because i'm playing better now than i was then too my playing's improved every year i've gone on working at that and um, so i can now get around the neck a lot more than i used to and so it matters to me more that and i don't use a pick really anymore I was kind of a force to use a pick with dire straits because it was the only way to get the thing done. But I'm back to finger picking pretty much with everything I do now. So it's very important to me that the quality and the tone is there. So I've got some very, very nice acoustics. I've got one, I've got a Breedlove to hand. I can see a Breedlove. I've got a Fursh. I've got a local, a local one, the name of which I've forgotten. It's made by a local luthier. Hang on two seconds. Let me just see if I can read it from here ah, the name's escaping me okay i can't i can't read it without wandering over to get it why don't i do the just uh, hang on a second this is an english guitar it's called a brook it's my most recent acquisition which is Okay, small Brook guitars. They just make them locally to me, just down the road from me. And I found it in a local guitar shop because they only sell them locally. And it's really nice and a really good price. It's about half, I mean, it's still a couple of grand, but it's half what you would pay for an equivalent guitar in a, on a name brand, you know. If it, was a, if it was a breed love, it would be three or four. So, you know... They all work, and they all they all 
they all do a job and now I've got nowhere to put this down. So yeah, I mean that's that's my current favourite, but the breed lovers always I always go back to that as well because it's got a just superb tone, it's beautifully built. Yeah, and, and, and Fush I use for G tuning. I use them for different tunes too. Gibson over there as well, and I've got Fenders, and I've got I've got an old Yamaha bass that belonged to John Ilsey from Dire Straits, who gave it he gave that to me back in 1980, and I've kept it ever since. Or 79 wow. when he changed, probably when he changed when he changed from the Yamaha to his to a Music Man and a Fender Precisions. Okay, 
that was his that was his bass when he was still learning. Uh-huh. So I use that on my records, and it's great. Wow. And so you have a record coming out soon. Yeah. Um, I guess when this pandemic lifts, you're going back to Germany? You'll toy Germany or no? I don't know. It's the same. It's, it's two issues. One is the pandemic and the other is age. At yeah. 67, I, I'll need to be, I'll need some, some reassuring that everything's going to be easy. I don't need anything that's going to raise my blood pressure or send me to hospital. Um, I hear that. So it, it's, it's, it's an open-ended question. I can't really honestly answer. I would like, I mean, I, I think I miss it. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. I miss the good bits. You know, I like anybody on with touring. I miss the good bits, and God, I don't miss the bad stuff. You know, I, I know, I know. But you, um, know, you, do, you, have, you have to worry about your health. I mean, I'm, I'm, in, you know, I'm in my mid sixties too. So there and, you go. It gets, yeah. it gets, it suddenly got real for me at about sixty-five. The whole thing yeah. just suddenly, you know, oh, I'm part of this deal too. I was, uh, I was immune, immune till I was sixty. Didn't nothing. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I was I was you know working twenty hours a day in stadiums and things, and I had a uh, two an incident. Two, yeah, I had two heart attacks in eight days. Uh, you know, so and yeah, and you're hustling me to tour. Yeah, well, <laughs> hey, that's you. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and you're lucky to be. You're lucky to still be here after that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, you know, that's but um, you know, I, I would think. You know, I, I, I never thought of it from your perspective, but, you know, I figure carrying a couple of acoustic guitars, you know. And, and a suitcase. Yeah, and a suitcase. And, and a backpack. Backpack, And it's yeah. 85 degrees and there's no air conditioning at the airport. Yeah, plus um, the lousy food you eat on the road. Yeah, all of it. It just it just takes its toll. It's not that you can't do it, and it's not that you aren't willing to do it. It's just that it will, even no matter how, even the best will in the world, yeah. Sooner or later, as in Crazy Heart, you're going to crash the car. Sooner yeah. or later, you're going to. Sooner or later, you're going to have a heart attack. Sooner or later, you're going to fall over, and something's going to tell you that you, you know you're going to be on the middle of middle of a song on stage, and you're just going to have not enough oxygen to remember what the next line is. Yeah, you know? we. Um, I'm in New Mexico now, and um, when I was running the amphitheater here, we used to provide oxygen for the artists because <laughs> the altitude. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, some gigs are so badly set up that there's no air. You know, they they, they seal the bloody thing in, they lock all the freaking doors, and then, you know, you're in the stage at the far corner with the least air in the whole room, and you're you're wondering why you're beginning to feel spacey. Well, hello. Yeah, and the hot lights and everything else. Well, they're not so bad nowadays because they're all LEDs. That's a bit. That's a. That's been a huge improvement. Yeah, the old clubs here still have old lighting. I mean, the old those old lights are, uh, yeah. They, they're and, and the smaller the club, the closer the light is to your yeah. face. The more it's going to burn. You're literally fringing, singeing, and fringing your your hair as you. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, well, uh, you, uh, you're still the best looking guy in Dire Straits, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> oh no, Hal Hal took that crown straight away from me the minute <laughs> the minute he stepped into my shoes. Uh, Hal, Hal was uh, Hal was a uh, this pretty boy immediately. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, you're still the pretty boy when where I'm concerned. You still like candy in my book. <laughs> we're, we're we're all good buddies. We we all get along. Um, yeah, I, I never played with Hal, but we've we've got a co-write on the next album. We've written oh, cool. something together. So yeah, you know, we've and Alan and Alan's worked on my records very often. So this yeah, Alan's of, a great guy. Alan's a sweet, very talented and very very nice, very together guy. Yeah. So this, is, is Terry still playing? Terry, Terry I don't know. Uh, Terry, I don't know. I never met Terry. Oh no. 
No, I was with Pick was with us for yeah. long, a good few years after I left. Okay. Because um, I met Terry when he was working with Rockpile. He's been with a lot of people, yeah. Yeah, it was my 18th birthday. Okay. In the club that I eventually before started. Dias, before Dire Straits. Yeah. It would yeah. have been. And, um, yeah, and it was my 18th birthday, and I went to the club that I wound up managing later on for my birthday, and it was Rockpile, and Terry was there. and um, They were a good band. Yeah, they were a hot band. They were cool. I was trying to think who was. It was Dave Edmonds, wasn't it? And it was... Um, Nick Lowe. Nick Lowe, yeah, I'm both going to say Nick Lowe, Dave Edmonds, Terry, yeah, okay. and who else was in that? It was a good uh, keyboard oh, player, too. No, no keyboard player. No it was keyboard? Our player. Uh, it was somebody Matt, else. But, yeah, I've got his name. I he said. Oh, yeah. well, anyway, yes, good band. We don't no. need to worry about it now. Nobody, no. nobody, nobody, anybody who knows it doesn't need to be told, and anybody who doesn't know. isn't going to care. No, <laughs> that right. Um, yeah, so anyway, uh, can we do this again one day? I'm sure we can. It's been an interesting experiment for me. Um, it's different. I mean, I've, yeah. never done, I've never conducted an interview by Zoom before. Yeah, this is we'll really work. the first. You are the, you are the, you are the first. I was a, a Zoom wow. virgin until this. Well, well, I'm glad I'm your first. You always I, set it up, first. I set it up myself. <laughs> and yeah. if, if later we find none of this has worked, it's still been fun talking to you. There you go. And you always, you always remember your first, they tell me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there you go. So yeah. good talking to you, Elliot. And uh, yeah. it's, I haven't done an interview in years either, so I'm a little bit rusty all around. So good. I think, it was, I think it was fine. Why not? Yeah, it was. It was. Very I real. Think. I mean, real is what you want. Yeah, it is. It is real. And um, I'd love to do it again with you. Sure. I'm happy and to. I'll get a different- I'll get a different backdrop. One that's me, too. <laughs> me too. Me too. It'll be a nice black professional drop and it'll <laughs> sound better and it'll be a little less interesting, probably. Okay, my <laughs> friend, stay safe, okay? You too, man. Okay. Good talking to you. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Still I wish 
probably hadn't ended it that way. Not Your Mother's Radio is listener-funded. If you wish to assist and help keep the station active, funds can be sent via PayPal to Elliot. Is. Not. Your. Mother. At. Gmail.com. Remember, there is only one L and one T in Elliot. Thank you for your assistance. It is appreciated. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Every year, compliance regulations change thousands of times. And every year, ADP makes thousands of seamless platform updates so businesses can focus on everything else, like running their business. Grow stronger with ADP. HR, talent, time, and payroll. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Fly on the Wall. There are more great interviews to follow, so please list us as one of your favorites and be sure to follow. We are listener-funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. Please remember to share our info. Thanking you all.